Welcome to the Indisposable Podcast, produced by Upstream. I'm your host, Brooking Gatewood. And I'm your co-host, Matt Prindeville. Thanks for joining for another episode celebrating solutions to plastic pollution. Hey, what's up, Solutioneers? Welcome back to the Indisposable Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Prindeville, and today I'm very excited to have Crystal Dreisbach on the show. Crystal lives in Durham, North Carolina, and founded a nonprofit called Don't Waste Durham. She saw the need to bring reuse to Durham and founded green to go a community-wide reusable to-go container service. She's also created Bull City Boomerang Bag and the Recirculation Project, and she leads policy work on single-use bags and serviceware. And in 2020, she also co-founded the Reuse Systems Alliance, which is made up of more than 35 reuse companies from around the world. Crystal uses her activist platform to build awareness and catalyze action. She runs workshops, gives talks to a, to a whole wide range of audiences, and Crystal also won Activist of the Year at this year's National Reuse Awards. So welcome to the show, Crystal. Oh, thanks, Matt. Really glad to be here. So Crystal, I learned that you've got a master's in public health, and I want to hear a little bit about this journey of how you went from, from public health to reuse solutioneering. I was a public health scientist, a public health researcher at a very large research institution, and my job there was to make sure that the research we come up with, the evidence that we conclude, doesn't just sit on a shelf, but is actually applied mm -hmm. to policy and program and practice. And I loved that so much that I could see it applicable in so many other ways. And when I went to get takeout food and got a styrofoam box, I thought to myself, I know this is bad for people, I think. So pub from a public health standpoint, I started looking into it. And sure enough, not only is there a sufficient research evidence to show that it's really bad for humans yeah. and the environment, but also local economies. And so I just started getting into the policy work, like, I bet you Durham can ban this too, just like other cities have done. So I started um, working on our local policymakers and it grew into a movement of preventing trash before it, you know, exists. And that's what led to founding Don't Waste Durham. And it just kind of became such a passion project that I actually ended up quitting my job in public health and doing this full time. Wow, that's a great story. I, so, you know, you've got, I mean, I, I got to, to know you because I heard about this incredible green to go reuse container service that you created. And so tell, tell us about that. I mean, you, you went from banning styrofoam uh, containers to founding this reuse container service. Like how did, how did that happen? And, and what were the kind of the instigators for, for creating this service? Well, back in 2010, during that same time when I was doing that research on styrofoam, I also thought to myself, there's got to be a better way, and I'm sure people are working on it. So I looked around, I looked right, I looked left, and I just didn't see anyone doing anything innovatively meaningful in that yeah. space. And I thought, well, I guess it's got to be me. So I started coming up with this concept that people could uh, you know, take their food home in a reusable, bring it back to the restaurant, and get you know, money off their food or perhaps a deposit back. And I this submitted- all, This is all the way back in 2010. 2010. Wow. And I submitted this concept to Good Magazine, which had a contest at the time called 
extraordinary solutions to everyday problems. And I won runner up. So I thought, okay, someone somewhere doesn't think my idea is crazy. And that was kind of validating enough. Were there any other businesses doing this at that time? At the time, none. In fact, uh, GoBox was one of the first in the country, and they didn't start till 2011. And, um, you know, I was really envious. I was like, maybe I should just go work for them. Maybe I should just buy a franchise. (laughs) And um, and then I thought, you know, I bet Durham can do this. So I started proselytizing it. I would stand on, uh, literally on a soapbox sometimes at, festivals and have a little table with a with a plywood sign that said reuse is the future uh, written in sharpie and i'd have a couple of reusable takeout boxes and just like started talking to anybody who would listen and some people thought wow someone should have started that a long time ago but some people laughed and some people said that'll never work and slowly but surely in 2015 when don't waste durham had been established and i wouldn't stop talking about this takeout container business, um, people said, I think we're ready. Durham had just won uh, an award for being the foodiest small town in the South. And we're well known for our great restaurants. And we have a very rich local independently owned restaurant community Mm -hmm. with, you know, we have connections and sometimes, well, oftentimes when you're doing something that's completely new, you want to start with your early adopters. So the people who are you know, we went to these restaurants and said, we want to do a reusable takeout container service. And they don't even know what it looks like or what right. that means. Right. And they're like, I'm in. Whatever that means, I'm in. Amazing. So so the restaurants right off the bat that you guys are reaching out to were excited about it. It definitely helped that th- these were restaurants that we were friends with. So they are. we already had that trust relationship and they knew that we were legitimately people with integrity and care for the community. So I think that's where a demonstration project can really begin. You want to use early adopters to show the mainstream, how something yeah. works, and then et cetera, et cetera. And so finally talked up the idea so much. We're like, let's do a Kickstarter. We had nothing but a dollar and a dream. We barely even had a dollar. And a Kickstarter campaign, which is very stressful, and I don't really recommend them because they give you a heart attack. But we actually succeeded and got the seed money we needed to buy our first containers and um, locate a wash facility and get this out to the people. And it started in 2017 and has really grown and evolved since then. And we're very, very proud. So you were literally like the OG reuse entrepreneur. Like you, you, you had this idea when nobody else had it, you know, going back, I mean, 11 years ago. And, and since then, I mean, you look around the world and you've got all of these reuse service companies that are kind of cropping up. We, we literally learn of a new one weekly. Every and, day. I know. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to like, I think developing countries have had old fashioned yes. common sense for a very long time and have yes, always yes. reused things. I mean, Tiffin's in India and all the things. Um, yeah. But yeah, as far as uh, just getting in on the American restaurant scene i think you know we were one of the one of the first as far as i know to really dig down into that and see okay what do restaurants need how would they how can we ensure restaurants would that we'd have uptake right uptake and buy-in and acceptance and willingness to pay and all these things was a really fun journey 
You know, I'm glad you brought up Tiffins and the Dabawalas in India and all the, 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 the places still in the global south where food and various products are still being uh, served in reusable and, and, and refillable containers. Because this is like something that's been with humans for as the, since the dawn of civilization, right? Like that's businesses right. providing products, consumable products to, to all of us in reusable, refillable containers. And it. it's almost like this, I look at, at this slate of reuse entrepreneurship that's now happening and it's like a new twist on the old, right? It is. <laughs> and, I always yeah. tell people, they're like, oh, it's so amazing. It's so innovative. I'm like, it's really, yeah. we're just washing dishes. Yeah, that's right. what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we're riding our bicycles, picking up dishes, washing them and riding our bicycles back. Like it's a, it's a thing that, uh, you know, it's not, um, it's not a new concept. We should it's say. not rocket science, right? That's yeah. It. I mean, I think, I think that's the other thing that makes me believe in how, and how quickly this can scale is that it, it's not rock and science. Like it really is just about rethinking the way that we deliver, you know, primarily consumable products to people and how we shrink these massive global supply chains down to regional supply chains. And That's you know, one of the things that I get really excited about when I talk to reuse entrepreneurs like yourself are, you know, just the job creation opportunities and benefits to the community. Um, I know that you, when communities like, like yours work to do something like ban styrofoam containers you get the styrofoam industry coming in saying, "Well, you can't, you can't ban styrofoam. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna, you're gonna cost jobs." But those jobs are always somewhere else, right? They're always like, you know, that's a vertically integrated industry. They've squeezed every human being out of that supply chain. Whereas when you created Green to Go, like you're literally partnering with businesses in your community and you're creating jobs in your community. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. I would love to talk about that. I, there's a lot of evidence that, you know, if you have a one-way relationship with the trash can, you know, you're buying something, you're throwing it away. But if you are in a reuse system, it's a whole different type of supply chain. It's got yeah. people all around the circle employed to do the jobs. You know, there's labor involved in reuse. And that's what's cool. And you can't outsource that labor. Like you can't ship that labor off to China because these are literally, you know, businesses. I mean, businesses and 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 uh, and services that are right there in the community. That's it. And I really want to tell you about our recirculation project because this is sort of taking everything we are learning from Green to Go and making this um, a circular system, hyper locally for all durable, reusable packaging product packaging of all types. And yeah, I'm so excited about this. This is one thing I think that, I mean, this is hyperbole, I guess, but I really believe it. It is, it will change the world. This is yes. something that any community can do. And it really takes uh, very simple infrastructure changes to make sure the line is not straight, but circular. And that, and that requires infrastructure like transport, washing and redistribution and it's pretty yep. simple these are all things the united states of america knows how to do we just have to build it for reuse and so the recirculation project here on our third pilot building a proof of concept of this wild idea which is no longer pretty wild <laughs> i've always said what every city should have is reuse as a municipal utility because city of City solid waste management departments, what do they do? They do trash, they do recycling, 
they might do yard waste. They might do some cities who are very advanced do composting pickup service. But why is prevention of the trash in the first place not equally important or right. more important than mitigation? Why aren't we investing in that on the front end? Why why isn't that the number one priority? Right. Why is mit- why is mitigation the sexier thing that gets funded when yep. prevention is going to serve us even even more? Yep. And so uh, to test this concept, we got to be a part of this program called Innovate Durham. It partners us with a local city government agency and the private sector to pilot something at a city scale. So we took advantage of this and really submitted our insane idea. And for some unknown reason, they picked us. And we got to have a champion in the solid waste department and a champion wow. at our local you know, giant corporation, for-profit corporation that is the MRF or Materials Reclamation Facility for recyclables. And what we did was say, number one proof of concept is, can we RFID tag and Bluetooth tag a bunch of reusables and co-mingle them with our recycling uh, mm-hmm. in at the curb mm-hmm. and have the existing recycling infrastructure, the trucks, the routes, the facilities, Go ahead and see if we can harness those to switch our entire society to reuse. So what we did was we followed these trucks on their journey. We used even drones and these uh, commingled reusable durable product packaging made it to the recycling facility, um, put into the hopper on the conveyor belts, made it all the way up the conveyor belts, and we used an RFID scanner at the top to have these sorted off the line. And that was the proof of concept. Could we get them to the recycling facility as reusable items? Could they be sorted off and then presumably prepared for redistribution? Yes. So the second proof of concept that the pilot was uh, an analysis of the value chain. So for example, if Amazon shipping was to invest in reusable shipping products, and those came to the consumers, and the consumers put those reusable shipping packaging into the recycling bin. Could they then make it to the Sunoco recycling factory, make it up the conveyor belts, and would, based on the financial feasibility of it all, would Sunoco be willing to collect those off, just like they do any other material, and ship them back to Amazon? And would the amount that Amazon would pay them enough to make that a viable revenue source to compete with their highest material value, which is aluminum. Yep. So they said, well, to compete, to be able to make that a thing we would want to do, it would have to compete with the revenue we get from aluminum. And we're like, all right, so that's part of the value chain analysis. The conclusion was that, yes, there would absolutely be feasibility around the whole chain as long as we reached XYZ volume. So now pilot number three is to prove that we can get the volume. And this is the most exciting part, in my opinion. So we have a lot of local companies, a lot of local producers of all kinds um, that make all kinds of products, everything from dog food to beer to kombucha to yogurt, whatever you have, where either they already use something potentially reusable or they could switch to something reusable in the recirculation project. So imagine that that you're a resident of Durham and you like reuse or you love the concept, but you're not really sure how it's done. You become uh, one of the people on our uh, porch side reusable pickup routes 
whereby you get a receptacle and probably just to bootstrap things at first, we'd say, hey, everybody, find a cardboard box. And you'd get a, you'd get a receptacle, you'd get a list or some kind of directory of all of our partner businesses that would like to get their packaging back. So now you can go and say, oh, wow, I didn't know I could get pasta sauce locally. I'd love to do that. So you buy Molina's pasta sauce, eat it, and put it in your receptacle, knowing with full guarantee that that item will be brought to our facility, washed, sanitized, and given back to Molina's pasta. So what you have is a hyper-local circulation of packaging. That, that, does, that does basically four massive things. Number one, it reduces the consumption footprint of our community. It increases uh, the local purchasing from producers. So, you know, not ragu, but Molina's pasta sauce, for example. Then you've also lowering the cost of product packaging for the local producers. We have one juice company locally who says, you know, it's actually more expensive to import this virgin glass from China than to make this juice. Um, And so selling those same containers back to him at a half price would actually help his company so much. It would be unbelievable. The other thing is that phase two of that is to have a simple app where if you put stuff in your receptacle, Matt, knowing that we're going to pick it up for reuse, you get points for what you put in that receptacle. And then you get points on your app. So we'll log that as, yay, Matt's successfully gave us XYZ product packaging. You get points and you can spend those points on a virtual local marketplace to get those foods de- delivered back to you. And all those different products could be laundry detergent, could be whatever it is that you like that's produced locally. So people are always saying shop local. Okay, what does that mean? Right. We can actually make it a thing that's very simple, can lower the cost of local products, and build wealth in the community, create jobs in the community. So this is like the hyper-local circulation of community-owned packaging. And there is evidence, well-founded research evidence, that comes out of think tanks like the Ellen MacArthur Foundation that show that cities, not nations, not global, but cities are the appropriate entry point for circular systems. It just 100%. makes sense. Yep, yep. No, this We're is very um, this excited is inc- about this. This is incredible. This is incredible. So I want to... I follow up with some questioning and some comments here. What One of the main barriers that we have been working to, 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 to hack at Upstream is the infrastructure challenge, right? You know, I often tell people that that it's like where we were with recycling 40 years ago. <laughs> you know, we, we when I was a kid, we had one bin, it was the trash bin, right? Oh. And then we got the recycling bin and then, now we got composting and and if reuse is the future, we got to figure out how to build this infrastructure. And if you think about all the money that has gone into to both public and private into building out this recycling infrastructure so that you can recycle at home or at the office or on the go, um, we need that same kind of investment and in infrastructure and thinking around reuse. And in some ways, like we need more innovation because, you know, there's there's more to it. Right. Like we're not. That's right. We're not just dumping it in a pile someplace. Yeah. And so, you know, let's 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 get into this. I'm fascinated by the by the fact that you guys were able to work with a MRF, and and instead of creating, you know, you, it sounds like you're doing both. It sounds like you're you've got 
a, a chain where you could potentially work through the existing recycling infrastructure, and then an additional one, which sounds like it's more of the milkman model with a with a, a, a reuse box out front or on the porch, as you say, where you're putting reusables and, and refillable containers in to be picked up. You know, do you think that the infrastructure needs are going to require both moving forward? And tell us a little bit more about what, you know, your vision for what 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 the world looks like when this stuff really gets built out and scaled. It's a really insightful question. I see the two uh, ways very much linked. So one exciting thing that came out of that first pilot with the MRF. So our hypothesis was the existing recycling industry. Uh, recycling is in almost every city in America. What if we could show that reusables could go through the very same infrastructure without creating much that's new and actually turn recycling facilities into a redistribution facilities instead of receiving, smushing, selling to China, but receiving, sorting, and redistributing? And Amazing. that could be done with this, you know, very similar infrastructure, maybe some that already exists. So we, of course, did learn... Um, that some things in the existing recycling industry would need to be adapted or modified to also accommodate reusables. But we learned a ton. We opened the eyes of Sunoco and we opened the eyes of the city of Durham Solid Waste Management Department so much. Our champion was, you would think, maybe a bureaucrat who works in government. No, no, no. He's a right. closet innovator. And he was like, you know, if the <laughs> results of these pilots continue to be positive like this, you know, we're on our way to building our own MRF as a city. And I would love to submit an application to closed loop partners to get the money to design the very first ever recycling MRF that also accommodates wash and redistribution. I was like, this is wow. what I'm talking about. People. Wow. So why is it that this third pilot is more like a milkman model? That is because we're trying to mimic municipal curbside pickup of reusables so that when we get to the volume, which is what the second pilot taught us, we can say, okay, we're ready. Now, Sunoco, a large corporate MRF, will have the customer base, will have the buy-in to go ahead and start municipal reusable pickup. So that's how, like we're trying to, you can see the building, slow building up of a proof of concept takes like so much work and so many yeah. answering of people's concerns and questions and doubts. And that's what we're trying yeah. to slash yeah. down one by one. I, I have to say like every time I think that I, I know what, everything that's happening in this field, you know, I have a conversation with somebody like yourself and this like game changer idea comes out. Like this is really remarkable to think about how the existing MRFs could serve the new reuse economy yeah. and and also how you how you start to build scale by working with the existing infrastructure and building on the new reuse infrastructure that's needed to really take it to the next level. Fascinating. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm coming fresh off uh, a conversation with our friend Amy Larkin at Resolve PR3. And, you know, she talks, what she's really focused on is the standardization of containers and systems and uh, even the, the infrastructure collection kiosks so that you could have a lot of different reuse service companies and a whole bunch of different types of products being run through a reuse system in a city. I'm wondering at what level are you having those kinds of conversations? Because it's like, 
you know, if, if all the containers are different, it becomes a lot more complicated to collect and sort and wash, right? Um, and what, what what are the levels of conversations that you're having as you're as you're thinking about building out this this new infrastructure? We are definitely having these conversations, especially about standardizing product packaging of all kinds. That's probably something that's gonna. It's a little bit of a medium length game because that's going to take a lot, take a lot of convincing and conversations and product development um, and things like that. But as you can imagine, in the shorter term, should we eventually have, and we're starting it soon in this small scale way to extrapolate to this volume question, is that we could, in theory, turn an entire city reusable. If you think about it, if everything is reusable, yes. You have a bin at your curb in which you can put these things, or maybe you commingle it with recyclables, and that's fine too. So we're using what people are used to to move the society toward reusables, and it will become very known very quickly how much you can streamline this service if the product packaging is standard and consistent. Yep. So if every restaurant in town needs the same type of plate or platter or to-go box or bowl or nacho boat or whatever they need, standardize them. They (laughs) can all go in this receptacle, picked up, washed, sanitized, and returned to the restaurants. You know, we'll have a circulating, locally circulating pot of packaging that can be used by everyone. So I love this conversation. We're kind of working it at both ends, of course, which is kind of what you have to do. But I, I love the conversations about making them standard. You know, it's it, it it's interesting too because it, it's also what enables an Amazon to get into the reuse game, right? It has to be standardized because right now it's robots that are assembling boxes and and putting products in into those boxes. And in order for a, a reuse system to work, it would it would have to be standardized in a way that those robots could work with the package and and put the products into them. And, you know, I also, you know, as we're thinking about sectors, you know, at Upstream, we're looking at, you know, how do we support the scaling of reuse in food service and beverage in consumer packaged goods and brick and mortar retail and in e-commerce and e-commerce. It's like if we're able to create something that works for Amazon, <laughs> we win, right? Like we, like, like the game over, like it's, it's like that whole sector can be transformed. Mm-hmm. And I've, and one of the things that I was really struck by is the challenge of, of the scale of Amazon and how you do that with the milkman model. But what I hear you saying is like, there's a possibility that we could, I mean, right now, most of the Amazon boxes go to these MRFs, right? So, I mean, they're you know, already these, going to the MRFs. They're, they're already going to the MRFs, right? And that's really, I'm super excited about this. And again, I thought we were going to spend a lot of our our time today talking about green to go, but once again, you you are ahead of the curve, uh, Crystal, and you've got this incredible idea, and the work you're doing is just just amazing. Thank and, you. And I'm so thrilled that you won Activist of the Year, and and this conversation is showing exactly why you won that. It's amazing. Thank you. Matt. I want to add two points to this Amazon conversation. Yeah. Um, one is that, as you may know, um, well, I'm sure you know this. Uh, global supply chains. Uh, issues are making it very difficult to get disposables, right? Yes. And then, of course, right. as we know, circulating durable goods is the way to go to make ourselves independent of volatile global yep. supply chains. So that's Absolutely. one thing that could yeah. be very attractive 
to groups that are buying cardboard boxes like Amazon. The other thing is that we learned from Sunoco Corporation, which is a giant corporation and is very much similar to other recycling corporations, is that they are also at uh, the mercy of the global market, materials market. So let's say they only make so much on average from selling cardboard. But let's say they could have a stable revenue stream by being redistribution back to Amazon. Sunoco is very excited about that because their profits go up and down and up and down. And there's not a whole lot that's a stable revenue stream. So they said, yes, if we can make more money shipping back to Amazon reusable packaging than selling their cardboard, we would definitely want to do that. Oh, it's, I love it. I mean, this, you know, I, I, just like what you were saying about the, the, the producers that are having challenge, challenge, having challenges right now, getting their hands on the materials, the packaging materials that they need. I think about the, all these microbreweries, right. That went all in on aluminum and now they can't get aluminum cans. Right. And if you think about, okay, well, what if we went back to refillable glass bottles? Like they still do it in much of the world. Um, and and we're organizing that through these systems like the recirculation project, what you've been working on. I mean, the opportunities for these for for the producers themselves, as well as the you know the existing um, recycling uh, companies. I mean, it's amazing to to rethink and retool. And I've always I've always thought that in order for this new reuse economy to scale, we have to help some of the people in the existing system to win. Right. Like it's not it's not enough to just say we're going to build something, you know, better (laughs) and you're going to lose. But how can we help some of the existing players to find ways to win in this new reuse economy? And you are getting into hacking some of the big challenges around that. So let's help this recycling industry evolve. We don't have to stop the recycling industry. Let's help them uh, morph into something that's better and more profitable for them. Yeah, 100 percent. So, you know, there's a couple things that I, I just wanted to explore with you with the, with the five minutes that we have left. And then I also just want to have, have a couple of just, you know, rapid fire questions for you. But, you know, you mentioned cities kind of being the gateway to the circular economy. And this is this is we have a at Upstream, we have a cities based theory of change where we where we following that we absolutely believe that cities are the key to unlocking this new reuse economy and also a sector based theory of change where if we can create workable, provable models in sectors that, you know, work um, practically and also work financially for these businesses and show the sector that that this is the future, that that the things, it's all just going to start flying forward. And, you know, you also said about supporting and building out the local economy, which is another thing that I think policymakers are really interested in. And, and so what you're working on is, is really helping to to key into both of those things. And I was fascinated about the idea of of how a reuse system could support local businesses because, you know, I don't know about you, but frankly, I don't want to live in a world that's still owned and run by multinational corporations. Like, you know, they can exist in the system, but we really want these local businesses that are employing local people and creating artisan craft, beautiful products, durable products to have, have success and win in this, in this new game. Tell us a little bit more about your, your vision there and, and what do you think can be accomplished through building out reuse for, for these local businesses? Even 
beyond helping the companies that already want their durable product packaging back to save money um, for them. The other cool opportunities there that we see in this vision are that companies that currently use disposables for their products could switch with this, with the presence of the recirculation project, could switch to reusables. They, they didn't have the opportunity to do that before. There wasn't the means, there weren't the infrastructure. The recirculation project will bring that to the table so that people can say, I don't have to use, I don't have to pack my microgreens in these flimsy plastic clamps that aren't yes. recyclable, for example. Um, and the other thing is it obviously makes local products, local producers um, more competitive with these global chains and um, megala companies. And that can only be good for everybody. 100%. I mean, I think that that if you can find a way to help small producers reduce their packaging costs and as 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 we know as you were just discussing for consumable products in many cases the packaging can be the most expensive part <laughs> of creating that product right and so you know what i heard you say was uh, like in some cases being able to reduce the cost of of, of packaging by 50% this is the same thing i heard from a reuse entrepreneur last week when i was in edinburgh um, who's working in Chile, you know, their early adopters are poor people because they are actually able to produce the same product at half the cost in, in a reusable, refillable model. And so, you know, I, I love that idea that, we're, you know, we're not, we're not creating these reuse systems for, you know, places like Marin and Santa Monica that have the money to invest in them, but that we're actually being able to build them everywhere because, Economically and financially, it makes definitely. sense. Definitely an e environmental equity issue as well. These are, you know, 100%. people who um, suffer disproportionately from a lot of the impacts of everything we're talking about are usually low wealth yes. communities of color. Yep, yep, yeah, 100%. And I, I think that one of the things that that we've been really trying to, to work on at Upstream is, is actually like vision a lot of people, they, they can't see it and touch it and taste it, right? There's still only a small amount of people like you and I, Crystal, that are just, you know, so deep into this right now. And we can really see what the world could look like with all this. But we, we all, think that rings could actually solve all the problems. So many problems. So many problems, right? And so many problems can be solved by, by this. And, and, and I think that, you know, part of what we really need to do is work to engage leaders in communities, not just around the United States, but all around the world, in helping to co-vision and, and co-create what this could look like, right? Um, because I think every time I connect with somebody that's building this new reuse economy somewhere, you know, they're all starting at like community level kind of concepts and ideas, right? I mean, I was talking to uh, Freedom uh, Fawner, who was one, who was a, a runner-up and an activist of the year, you know, and she's working in the community of DC to build this grocery delivery system and reusables and refillables. All these stories, you know, of people like yourself that just kind of got tired <laughs> of the way things were and have been, and said, you know what, we can do this better, and we're going to roll up our sleeves and figure it out. Um, it's just fascinating. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I know we're we're at time here, but just just to you know, I've got two really quick questions. You know, what's one of the top things that our listeners can do to to help accelerate this reuse revolution that you're helping to pioneer? 
I think if they look at their town and try to find um, any existing, if they have some, any existing examples of circular economy companies or initiatives, and they put their support behind that however they can, whether it's just sharing Instagram posts all the way to just rolling up their sleeves and helping, um, those are the forward movements on each level in every person, individual's communities that um, anyone can do to move the whole reuse movement forward. Amazing. Where can our listeners learn more about you and, and what you're up to? Well, definitely follow Don't We Sturum on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And if you're so inclined, go to don'twesturum.org and sign up for our newsletter and peruse our programs. The newsletter is awesome, by the way. <laughs> I, I love the newsletter, so highly recommended. Um, yeah. Well, Crystal, it's been amazing. I, this has been one of the most fun podcasts I think I've ever had, and I, I've just wow. re really enjoyed hanging out with you for the last uh, 45 minutes and look forward to our next conversation. Thanks so much, Matt. Have a good day. And that's our show. If you like what you're hearing, help spread the word. Subscribe to the Indisposable Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Add a review, talk us up. Nobody spreads a message like you. The Indisposable Podcast is brought to you by Upstream, sparking innovative solutions to plastic pollution, envisioning a world without it, and empowering businesses, communities, and individuals to imagine and co-create this future with us. You can find resources mentioned on today's episode as well as learn more about Upstream's work at www.upstreamsolutions.org. Follow us on social and join the movement. There's a better way than throwaway.